Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey. Today in the studio with me is Aurora. Hello, everybody. And we have a great episode lined up for you. But before the, before we go on, I want to mention last week's episode. The sound was a little bit funky. Uh, we're trying to track down where in the computer or where on the microphone that happened uh, and prevent it for future issues. So if you do have any feedback for us, you notice something, uh, send feedback to us at, what's the address, Aurora? It's feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Yes, and we love all kinds of feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So don't hesitate to give us some criticism. We love that because we know it can help us make a better show for you. Uh, and... As we move along here, I want to mention that Greg Lee is a mentor of mine and that I've studied with him about Lyme disease, and we were in acupuncture school together. Uh, so our friendship goes back many, many years. He's a great guest and has a lot to offer. You definitely need to check out his website, which is goodbylime.com, and sign up for his newsletter. He has great articles. He has a funny sense of humor. I hope that comes through in the episode because he really is uh, always got a smile on his face. And now for the best part of the show is our Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Aurora, take it away. Did you know that ninjas are not only nouns, they are also verbs? Think about it. I am thinking about it, and it makes lots of sense. Thank you, Aurora. (laughs) Okay, tell us about Greg Lee. Okay. So Greg Lee is the founder of Two Frogs Healing Center and the Goodbye Lyme website and newsletter. He's been treating Lyme for 15 years and using his experience in acupuncture, Chinese herbs, essential oils, microcurrents, Sufi healing, and other modalities to help people conquer Lyme. The essential factors of Greg's approach are neutralizing painful toxins with cupping and antitoxin herbs, killing Lyme and co-infections where they're hiding in the body with antimicrobial herbs and supplements, starving the bacteria through diet, releasing painful emotions, learning to receive compassion, and receiving healing from a higher source. Thanks, Aurora. And here's Greg Lee. Greg, welcome to Lyme Ninja Radio. I'm glad to have you here. Great to be with you, McKay. Now, before we get started into the nuts and bolts of how you're helping your patients with Lyme disease, you have an interesting story because you didn't start out in healthcare. You started out in something completely different. Yeah, I'm trained as a software engineer and I worked at NASA as a contractor on various projects, robotics, different satellite systems. So I have a very engineering, analytical perspective when it comes to approaching problems. So why did you leave that world and come into the healthcare side of things? It was because of irritable bowel syndrome. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, you're laughing at my health history. That no, it's, <laughs> I'm laughing at the way the universe works. <laughs> So, yeah, work, we'd have projects that'd be there like 24 hours or longer. And uh, I internalized a lot of my stress and pressure. I was a manager 
of contractor support at this laboratory, robotics laboratory. And, you know, I wanted to be the best and do everything. And so I had a lot of irritable bowel syndrome symptoms. Yeah. And then went to a doctor, got medication, didn't really help, made me so I couldn't think. And then I went to an acupuncturist who had graduated from TAI. And about eight weeks later, the symptoms are gone. I was like, cool, back to work. And then a year later, I started to burn out, having more symptoms. I was like, uh-oh, I don't want to do that again. And then I went and studied acupuncture in 93. That's an amazing story. I knew yeah. some of that, but not all of it. Yeah. That's so, so cool. I worked on the Hubble Space Telescope, big robots. I could pick up cars and small ones that I used to hopefully repair the space station when they need to repair it, things like that. Very cool. So now you're putting needles in people. Yeah. Amongst other things. Mm-hmm. So then what? what's the transition to Lyme disease? I mean, because you were a kind of general acupuncturist, general practitioner, type acupuncturist, right? When I, you know, when I graduated, it's like, you know, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know. And so I was lucky to be in the same office as a practitioner who'd been practicing 20 years. And I said, hey, I need a mentor. And she goes, sure. And so I sat with her and she goes like, oh, you're doing really good work here. And she kind of encouraged me to look at working people with chronic issues like chronic pain and uh, chronic infections and stuff like that. So I ended up working with people had fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, but didn't get any Lyme patients for until one of my fibromyalgia patients came back and said, hey, I don't think I have fibromyalgia. I have something called Lyme disease. And of course, at the time, I'm like, Lyme disease? I don't know what that is, but I'm sure we can treat it. (laughs) (laughs) And so treating her for a while, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is nothing like chronic pain. This is nothing like you know, fibromyalgia, the herbs, the acupuncture, it was like, I felt like I was barely making any progress at all. And then being a technically oriented engineer, I was like looking at research, looking at the internet and didn't find very much out there for natural treatments or natural remedies for helping these people, mostly just drug therapies. So then where were you able to go to, to, to learn more to tie in with the acupuncture? What, what happened that opened that up? There were a couple doctors who were doing alternative treatments. And I would also look at like, what are the drug protocols and saying, okay, I can kind of understand what they're trying to do with the drugs. What herbs, what supplements would be a, a natural mimic or natural way to implement that strategy and then looked at like okay we have other spirochete diseases uh, leptospirosis syphilis there's much more research on those remedies and natural remedies and treatments and began to implement those with patients and began to see more results brilliant so now you've been developing your protocols for how long have you been treating Lyme? Well, I guess my first Lyme patient was probably about 15 years ago. Yeah. 
So what's, what's evolved with your understanding of how this disease attacks patients? The biggest challenge I see with patients, uh, the ones that go through the drug treatment regimens, the ones that do it, to sell, do it themselves like at home, is that they're able to get a certain level of progress and then they hit a plateau or they have recurring symptoms when they go off whatever they're doing. So my interpretation, and also looking at the writings of other people who are treating these chronic infections, is the theory is that there's reservoirs where they're hiding in the cartilage, inside intracellular hiding places in the nervous system, bones, because supposedly the spirochetes can burrow into everywhere. And the treatments are not able to get them out of these hiding places. So after looking at, okay, what are ways, what are treatments that are going to be able to penetrate into these areas and begin to either detoxify these areas or get the inflammation out or actually hopefully get the infections out. So that's kind of what my current strategy is working towards with patients in getting in these reservoirs and working with clearing them out. Yeah, that's very interesting. I just did an interview with uh, Dr. Eva Shapi, and she's done some work uh, using some fancy laser microscopes to image the biofilm, and she has video of it being formed. Uh, and this is uh, in in vitro in the test tube. And her next study is uh, some mouse models, and she's going to see if the the biofilm colonies have a preference for certain types of tissue or not. So that that should be coming out in the next, hopefully, year. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Great. Has she found biofilms inside animals? No, they haven't. Uh, she hasn't done in vivo studies yet. Okay. So a lot of her uh, research is being dismissed as, oh, well, it's just an artifact of laboratory uh, mistake, and this would never happen in a human being. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, okay. There was just, speaking of research, at a University of Toronto, there's a, a study that comes out, and the, the headline is definitive proof that there's no link between Alzheimer's and Lyme disease. And what it is is a statistical analysis of the CDC data of the two diseases and showing a, a negative correlation with one exception that's thrown away, of course. And uh, with the correlation, we now have definitive proof. Well, I talked to a Lyme literate physician who's treated thousands of patients who also used to be a physician for a retirement community. And he said to me over dinner one time that the presentation of dementia that is different than Lyme dementia. He says that in his opinion, they're two different. I mean, they may have similar symptoms, but they present totally differently. And I don't remember exactly the differences that he elaborated, but he was holding them as two different. Completely different. Like, well, that you have a different cause. Mm-hmm. Um, in Alzheimer's dementia versus the Lyme dementia. 
and different presentation, different things that he would differ, do a differential diagnosis between the two. There's a Dr. Alan McDonald, and he claims to have cultured the spirochetes from Alzheimer's brain tissue. Well, in that same conversation with this Lyme doc, there's um, spirochetes that aren't Lyme that are just naturally in our in our being. It's in our mouth. It's all over. And how those his theory was okay. Yeah, you have shown that the the spirochete DNA and human you know DNA have been joined together in this research. And this Lyme doc was saying, you know, how do we know that it is the Borrelia spirochete versus these other spirochetes that are in our body? So that was he was questioning that. Well, hopefully, Thanks. somebody's He's doing good DNA analysis, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm like, I'm not a researcher. I, uh, I'll, I'll take, I'll take it all, and analyze it as best I can. But, uh, you know, I'm here on the front lines. Yeah. So, how much uh, dementia and brain-related symptoms do you see in your practice? I don't see that much dementia. Uh, as an overall percentage, like if someone who really comes in and you know they can't orient or they can't remember anything uh, because you know they're just so far progressed, what I see more is uh, the neurotoxins from different infections affecting their memory, affecting concentration, uh, what they call brain fog, more symptoms more like that, and the difference is that a lot of this can be changed or reversed with the right detoxification, the right antimicrobial treatments, remedies that are targeting getting stuff out of the nervous system. So what are some of those strategies, detox strategies that you employ? Micro Frequency specific microcurrent has been very helpful because uh, I see a lot of areas of the brain that come up in this specialized scan that we do called a Zyto scan. And a lot of times different structures like the brain stem, the cingulate, uh, different memory centers and the midbrain, emotional centers like in the thalamus are shown up as having uh, a stressor in there, usually inflammation or toxicity. And so from based on those scan results using millionth of an amp electrical frequencies that microcurrent uses, you can target a certain structure in the brain and then also pair that with something like reduce inflammation or clear organic toxicity or run uh, antiviral frequencies or antispirochete frequencies or antibacterial frequencies or, or promote vitality in this area. So that that's one of the strategies is uh, microcurrent. Another is using liposomal remedies. We may customize liposomal herbs, essential oils, and give them in a liquid form to patients. And when they drink them, they have an affinity for going into the nervous system. So a lot of the, the remedies we use have a lot of nourishing qualities for the brain, like medicinal mushrooms, like cordyceps, reishi, chaga. And many of the other other remedies will have, again, antitoxin properties or antispirochete, antifungal, antiviral 
properties depending on what seems to be presenting in their scan result. So to help help me out a little bit, what exactly is a liposomal liposomal remedy? A, a liposomal remedy is you have a very small particle of a of a medicine and that is surrounded by a lipid or a fat. Uh, we use non-genetically modified soy lecithin or organic sunflower lecithin to encapsulate the liposomes. And then using ultrasound to produce cavitations in this mixture, it produces smaller and smaller particles that then get coated with the lecithin. And as mothers and babies know, uh, mother's milk is a natural liposomal nourishment for the child because babies don't have a developed digestion system. And that when they take the liposomal that's in the mother's milk, it goes right in their cells and nourishes their cells. So that gives their digestion time to develop and grow without having to then, you know, digest a bunch of mother's milk and deal with that because they don't, they they haven't developed the flora to do that. So with patients that have compromised leaky gut, inflammation, parasites in their ileocecal area, it can be very difficult for them to absorb things. And a lot of them take tons and tons of supplements or herbs, and if the gut can't absorb it, then they're just eliminating it. So putting in the liposome, that helps them to be able to absorb significantly more of the medicine whatever it is. And there, there's a lot of research on uh, PubMed about liposomal medication, being able to get into the nervous system more effectively, get it through, through biofilms, get intracellular, get into joints, all the places that are have been identified as hiding places or reservoirs for Lyme and the other infection. So it's a powerful strategy, sounds like. Yeah, I have recently begun making essential oils in liposomal form. And the uh, first patient I gave it to had been using essential oils for many years on her own and internally and topically. And when I first gave her this, she had this like, like whoa, experience. And I said, well, what happened? She goes like, wow, I just like went and think this went right through my brain. And it's just like, my brain is like light and it's like open and all, it never happened. And she'd been taking the same essential oils, you know, sublingually in her tongue. And I said, well, what's the difference between the sublingual and the liposomal? She goes like, the sublingual feel like they kind of, they go in, but they kind of stay on the outside of the cell. But when you do it in the liposomal, it's like, it feels like they're able to go right in the cell and they're really able to help something that's going on in there. So given that it's maybe happening, we use essential oils that have a lot of nourishing properties for the brain and obviously we avoid any ones that have like neurotoxic properties. And we find that that's been very effective for reducing inflammation, symptoms of brain fog, other symptoms that may be due to an infection in the nervous system. That's incredible. So the combination between the liposome, the liposomals and the, the essential oils and, and the microcurrent as well. So how, how many, how many treatments do you layer when a patient comes to see you? I can layer six, seven, eight treatments. When a patient first comes in, 
uh, since I'm in an area there's a lot, where there are lots of Lyme literate doctors, many of them have had antibiotic treatment, and as a result, there are some side effects from that treatment, like they have accumulator toxicity, inflammation, uh, a lot of ex- their extracellular matrix, which is kind of like tissue reservoir, has a lot of these dead germ bodies that have accumulated in it. And they, that needs to be cleaned out because if they get more toxins released from killing off germs, then they just feel sicker and they accumulate. But if we can clean all that stuff out first and get things, toxins excreted effectively, then it's much easier to go in with antimicrobial treatments and remedies and the person doesn't suffer like they would in the beginning. So that's kind of like the first strategies, getting their detox working, clearing out the accumulated toxins, dead bodies, germs, all that stuff. And seeing, you know, also looking at, you know, what are they genetically missing in terms of like methylation or human leukocyte antigen genes in terms of dealing with toxins and seeing what supplements will help them to what B vitamins, folate, other things, uh, that will help them to more effectively get rid of toxins and not accumulate them. So do you find this helps a lot with uh, Herxheimer's reactions? Well, that's kind of the main emphasis is how to reduce Herxheimer reactions so a person can be more functional while staying on top of their infections and decreasing them. Because most people I've gone through, I'd say 90% of the people that come have had significant Herxheimer reactions and they find that they can't work or they can't think, and many of them have a family to support or a job they want to keep. So that's it's a significant concern. Yeah. some It seems like in some communities that you the Herxheimer is almost expected and uh, kind of a, a badge that, yeah, this treatment's really working great. But it seems to also be a lot of suffering. Yeah, well, I think it's a matter of like really understanding. Yes, it's good to kill stuff off that you don't want that's pathogenic. And are there ways kind of looking at, it's kind of like zooming out, like with engineering, we kind of zoom out to like, okay, what's the spacecraft doing? And you zoom into a, a particular portion or system and says like, well, how does that system fit into the whole? So, Yes, we want to kill off the infections, but we also understand there's going to be a release of toxins. How can we vent that out? It's like in a spacecraft, you have a bunch of heat that's produced by computers and electronics. You accumulate that heat and don't vent it out, you're going to have stuff burn up. So it's like, okay, we know that. We got a whole thermal system here. We got a whole detoxification system in a person. How do we make that work as efficiently as possible? So they get all that stuff out. They don't feel like crap whenever they're, they have a die-off. And they can function and take care of their family and work and, you know, live. That's kind of our, our approach. So other things that help uh, when looking at genetics and what are, those, what are the supplements and things that help them uh, to methylate, get rid of toxins through that. Also... One of the major tools that we use is cupping and bloodletting. You do uh, bloodletting? Yes. So Sounds barbaric. 
it's very one of the daughters of one of my patients said that sounds so medieval and the other people say like well George Washington got it and he took out too much and he didn't survive. And I'm like, yeah, well, we don't do that here. So, so de- patients, describe it. So patients come in and if they aren't able to do their genetics to get rid of the toxins and they accumulate more and more toxins, they get sicker and sicker and sicker, they get more inflammation and not only gets phys- produces physical symptoms, Patients come in and they're depressed. They want to like not have to take any more medicines. They don't drink any more herbs. They don't want to do anything because they're sick of it all. Sick of being sick. So they hear over and over again. And when I hear that, I go, sounds like you got a lot of toxins you need to get rid of. So putting, putting the cups on, usually suction cups, you know, they're about anywhere from a half an inch to two inches in diameter on different areas. Some people, mostly you get them on the back. Other people who have neurotoxicity will allow me to put them on their head, on their forehead. You know, they'll come out later with a big hickey because of the suction. <laughs> and, you know, they say like, you know, I'm not, in a, I'm not in a place where I need to worry about what my, you know, forehead looks like. They don't have other a modeling do. career. Yeah. And other people do. And so we do it in places, obviously. It's hidden by clothes. Uh, there's two forms of cupping that I'm trained in. One is a Japanese style. One is a Middle Eastern style. And in both of them, you put the cups on. And the suction draws the toxins and information out to the surface. And take the cup off. You put little holes in there with a needle. And you then put the cup back on. And through those small little holes, the suction will draw out the toxic blood and often it comes out in the first time is very dark and very thick and it comes out so thick that when you take the cup off it sits there like a jello blob and in other patients that don't have chronic infections or chronic toxicity you take the cup off the blood flows like normal blood liquid and flows all over the place so people are often like amazed and somewhat kind of repulsed by like my blood is that thick or it looks like that because I'll take it off, and if people aren't squeamish, they often want to look at it. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. And, oh, that's disgusting. It is oh, disgusting. can I take it home and put it on my <laughs> Facebook page? No. <laughs> the younger kids are like that. Well, they take pictures of it. Yeah, page. pictures, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and so, as a result, I've had patients come in feeling totally depressed, totally like they don't want to do it anymore. And after... 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes of cupping and getting all that schmutz and toxic stuff out. They get off the table and they say, I can run a marathon now. It's a very dramatic shift. Really? Physically, emotionally, mentally. And yeah, yeah, you're getting all this stuff that feels horrible in their system out quickly. So the strategy, uh, when I get to know a patient often begins with like, okay, let's start with an initial kind of clearing detoxification. And then if they have areas that they're concerned or we're assessing that there may be infection in, we'll go and do treatments. Like one of the remedies I use is a bee venom and either topically or it's mixed in saline. So it can be ingested in the ear or the nose. And that'll go into the nervous system and start to kill off infection in there. And that can produce a big Herxheimer reaction. 
And so after that, doing treatments like that, or we do cold laser therapy using uh, different remedies, homeopathic remedies or essential oils in front of the cold laser and delivering the frequency of those remedies into the patient, that can also produce Herxheimer reactions. Microcurrent also can produce Herxheimer reactions. So a person has Herxheimer reactions, they've got toxins, we want to get that out. Cupping is often like amazing for reducing those very quickly. So that's kind of the sequence is initial and assessment, detox, strengthening, you know, rebuilding the person and then going after infections if that's appropriate for them at that time and then pulling whatever, getting released toxin-wise to the cupping and other remedies. There's an acupuncture treatment called moxibustion where you burn uh, an artemisia herb on patients and there's a form of moxa that's, and this is a very refined uh, part of the plant that's just the, the hair's that are on the undersides of the leaves, and that's all this is. And that's where supposedly most of the active compounds are concentrated. And by burning this on patients, especially those that have Bartonella-like symptoms, the burning hands, feet, the electrical zapping sensations, cheese grater-like pain in different parts of their body, doing thread ultra-pure moxa on these places can eliminate 90 to 100% of their symptoms very quickly. And when people come in the first time, they go like, ah, my feet have been hurting for years, and I'll do, do that treatment on the mox, thread moxa, and they're like, wow, this is the first time my feet haven't hurt in, in a long time. Oh my God, how did, what happened? So there's different ways that we'll look at, you know, if we're needing to detox someone quickly, we'll do it through mox, we'll do it through cupping, we'll do it through the cold laser, we'll do it through the microcurrent. Well, you've just listed a whole bucket full of uh, strategies here, and I'm sure people are going to be very interested in what you're doing. So if somebody wanted to contact you and about getting treated for Lyme, uh, what do you have available? Are you completely booked up? Are you still seeing patients? Some weeks it's, they're, it's totally booked. Other weeks there's places where people, you know, change schedule. So usually it's about a couple weeks out that we're scheduling. And there's always some opening here and there that opens up because, you know, someone's going to change their schedule. So, you know, we try to work with people as soon as we can. Um, and people can learn more. Uh, our, our contact information is on our website at goodbylime.com. And my email is twofrogshealingcenter at gmail.com. And that two is spelled at T-W-O. Twofrogshealingcenter. Yeah, at gmail.com. At gmail.com. And your your website, I go there a lot, has a ton of information on it. It's really incredible. And you seem to update that pretty regularly. Yeah, I, I being a software engineer, there's a philosophy called open software where you kind of you write code and you share it with other people. And so that's kind of my philosophy. It's like, hey, I have a patient. They have not only Lyme, but they got cytomegalovirus, Epstein-Barr, you know, what am I finding? Are there remedies that help? Okay, write an article, throw it up there, and then hopefully I'll help other people or other practitioners to help patients with those things. And speaking of other practitioners, I've been to one of your practitioner workshops, and you have another one coming up in the fall. Is that right? Yeah, the Stopping Persistent Lyme Disease Training is on October 3rd to the 5th in Frederick, Maryland. And we have about six spaces left in that. 
and there's a early bird special. I think that ends in about two weeks, like on August third. So save hundred bucks if you sign up before August third, and you can find that on our website at goodbyelime.com under training slash training. And what type of practitioners would this workshop be good for? Everybody. Well, obviously the people who want to work with Lyme Beach. <laughs> and that includes acupuncturists, chiropractors, herbalists, doctors, nurses. So you've had a broad range of people there. Yeah. Okay. Mostly people who are on alternative medicine come because that, the emphasis is mostly on natural remedies and treatment. Not telling people how to hand out antibiotics, eh? Uh, not, not under my license. <laughs> All right. Uh, and in wrapping up, one last question. What, what's in terms of on the treatment side of things, because you've listed a bunch of different treatments, what's intriguing you most these days as a, kind of a, something you've discovered and moving forward with? Like what's got your attention as a practitioner? I am finding patients that come to me that have been treated for Lyme and when I look at them, Lyme isn't their biggest problem. That I'm seeing more patients that have parasites, elevated viral loads. Uh, one woman came in and she had what came up was a tarantula toxin in her system. That's bizarre. And, and it was like, oh, hey, here's a remedy for you know spider toxins. And when she started taking that, she was like, wow, that really feels like it's hitting you know, what's causing my symptoms. Um, so part of it's like getting, thinking beyond just Lyme, it's like, okay, there's these several other things that are often going on that now I feel like I'm much more effective. I can really start to identify these things through the the electrodermal scanning that we're doing. And I'm not just like assuming Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia, uh, Mycoplasma, and finding infections like brucellosis. Uh, and I think one person had valley fever, which is a fungal infection, actually, I work with today. And I was like, whoa, you know, never, haven't seen that much. Or West Nile, actually, is coming up more, more common. And also Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is not that common in my area, but it's starting to become more common in the patients that I'm seeing. So it's like, I think one of the unique aspects of what people get out of coming here is they get to identify what's been missing in their treatment. What's the, yeah, I've been treated for all these other things, but I'm still sick or I'm, I'm still not as better as I'd like to be. Help me get to what hasn't been treated or undertreated. And that's, that's kind of the what's been intriguing me is like how can I really nail that for a patient and help them to get resolve that or feel like we're really on what's the core of why they're still sick. Well, I don't have Lyme disease, but I'm ready to sign up. <laughs> yeah. So you're seeing you're seeing Lyme disease as one piece of a really a bigger puzzle in a yeah. lot in a lot of these cases, yeah? And I think a lot of people come have either, you know, said, okay, that's my diagnosis and that's where I'm going. 
and they take that as far as they can and they go like, wow, you know, I've done this for three years, done this for five years, and I'm, I, I'm tired of taking the drugs, I'm tired of taking these herbs, and I'm not getting better. I've plateaued or I'm starting to get worse whenever I go off stuff. Like I have one woman, totally fine, no symptoms whenever she's on her antibiotics. She goes off, symptoms come back. And the scan found you have a an Ehrlichia infection. Well, you know, I've been taking doxycycline, which supposedly kills Ehrlichia. You know, is it possible that it's hiding somewhere or is it possible that it's resistant? You know, don't know exactly. And she's like, you know, I don't get Herxheimer reactions. So we developed a customized uh, homeopathic treatment for her and also some liposomal essential oils. And she calls me up and she goes like, I'm having a hurt time. <laughs> yeah. It's not so debilitating. She goes like, you know, I can still function because people can dose up and dose down right. depending on their reaction. But they're, she's excited because like now it's like I'm getting to whatever it is that keeps coming out whenever I get off my antibiotics. Right. And then we look at her, we, we scan her and then say, okay, this is what we're coming up with. Seems like these things are approving. You know, does that fit with what your experience is? And you know, do we need to be more aggressive now? Yeah, I had a patient once who had been on antibiotics pretty much for about twelve years with uh, sinus infections, and as long as she was on the antibiotics, she wouldn't have the infections. And as soon as she went off, within a month or so, they would start back up again. And uh, what finally happened when she was under my care is she was diagnosed not by me but somebody else with uh, not a bacterial infection but a fungal infection in her sciences. And then the final piece that brought it all home was we were able to balance some of her gut bacteria. And uh, after those two things, she was finally freed from the antibiotics and the, and the sinus infections. Great. Way to go. I mean, mold is huge. I mean, I, I see that. I just had a call today from someone in North Carolina who says, like, I've got mold, and I went to a, a doctor who's trained in treating mold therapy, and I'm taking these things, and it's like I have these things coming out of my body and my skin. And uh, I said, you know, the the drug route works for many people, and because uh, there's a famous uh, mold doctor who used to practice not too far from my office, and the patients that didn't do well in the drug treatment, they often end up in my office. And so we do liposomal therapy to help pull the toxins out of them, homeopathics, microcurrent, antifungal essential oils. So they squirt in their nose to get to the drug resistant stuff in their sinus and clearing out all that stuff. And with many of those people, it became effective, especially the cupping. Cupping has been amazing for many mold patients and getting them better quickly. So, you know, we try to customize our treatment to each person because everybody's different. Everybody reacts different. And so it's a lot of work on our end because we can't just say, hey, here's this herb form go home and take it. It's like, test you for this herb, test you for that oil, test, 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 test. Okay, these are the ones that you react negative to. These are the ones that are best. We're going to put the ones you react best to and give that to you. It's kind of like uh, having your own personal chef. I like that idea. Brilliant. Well, Greg, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I'm happy to help, and thanks for talking. And if people want to 
learn more, visit our visit us on the web at goodbylime.com or you can send me an email at twofrogshealingcenter at gmail.com and uh, we have a free newsletter, Goodbye Lyme and uh, upcoming training for medical practitioners on October 3rd to the 5th in Frederick, Maryland. Terrific. I'll make sure all that information is on the show, ni- show notes on the website so they can just go right there and click on that. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks great. for doing this, man. You're welcome. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Great interview. Uh, Greg Lee is a really cool guy. He is, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, it, it's amazing to me, really, that a NASA space engineer retired to become an acupuncturist. It's really a unique pathway to become an alternative healer. It definitely is. Most people don't do that. In my class, we had uh, some teachers, nurses, massage therapists, and then me, who was a English major, but no NASA scientists. It really brings a, a different perspective. He really does. You can see his engineering mind at work. He thinks differently, and it really brings a lot to Lyme disease. Yeah. Uh, I especially loved his his analogy where toxins in the body are like heat being generated on a spaceship. Yeah, it's a great image, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And yes. I have... I do have a question. And what's that? What is a Herxheimer reaction? Ah, good question, Grasshopper. <laughs> a Herxheimer reaction is when the die-off from a treatment is such that it the die-off happens faster than the body can eliminate it. So a die-off of what? So the die-off of the infection. Lyme disease, okay. one of the co-infections, Bartonella, Babesia whether it's a virus, whatever it is. So when, what happens when bacteria die, they often emit toxins and endotoxins because they're coming from within us. Mm-hmm. And these need to be cleared out through the liver, through the kidneys, through the lungs. And if they are being produced as a rate at a rate faster than we can clear them out, then you become toxic, literally. So some people feel like they're hungover. Some people feel like they're coming down with the flu. Some people have emotional responses. It messes with their uh, nervous system, with their brain, with their emotions. The symptoms really can be in wide as, as wide and as varying as Lyme disease itself. And in some ways, it's it's a positive sign because it means we are killing off. But the other thing is these are toxins running through the body and they are doing damage. So you don't want to have too severe of a herx. Right. So when talking about a healing process, this detox is really the first step. Yes, many practitioners feel like that's absolutely the first step and work very hard to open up the detoxification pathway so they're most efficient. Now, that doesn't guarantee you're not going to have a Herxheimer's reaction, but most of the time we're trying to avoid that. You don't want toxins floating around through your system causing damage. That's just more healing that has to happen. Right. Okay. All right. Next week's episode features Charlotte Bjornstrom. She's the founder of Worldwide Lyme Protest. I'm sure you'll want to join in to hear what she has to say about Lyme disease internationally. And if you want to get more information about today's show, you can go over to... We can go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com to our show notes. Yes. And for feedback, you can email us directly. At feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. 
And if you don't want to miss an episode, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher and have it downloaded right to your mobile device, whether that's an iPhone or an Android or iPad or iPad mini or iPad retina mini or plain old tablets or whatever the cool thing that they're going to release in two weeks. Exactly. I'm not an Apple geek, really. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.